Hello, I'm Darren, and uh, as you can see, we're back in Genesis. Um, we've started off in Genesis a while ago. We've detoured through 1 Corinthians and Titus, and we're back in Genesis. I need that pen. I've finished my sermon prep now earlier in the service. Um, and today we're going to look at a theme that comes out in this narrative. It is the theme of two common approaches. When God leads, especially in uncertain times, there are two common responses we have, fear or faith. Two common responses we have when God intervenes in our life, taps us on the shoulder in various ways. We either respond in fear or in faith. Will we trust him or will we doubt him? And this is evident in Abraham's life. Um, And at different points in his life, he has both responses. He has both fear at times and he has faith at times. What about in your life now as you reflect for a moment, can you recall any moments when you have been particularly fearful, when you've sensed God leading in your life, that God is intervening in that moment, God is tapping you on the shoulder? Maybe in the positive there's been moments when you have responded in trust and you thought, I know enough about God here to lean into this moment. Have you responded at times in faith and trust? Uh, I have. I remember as a young boy being at a, on a camp, it was a church camp, and I had a sense of God tapping me on the shoulder and wasn't sure what it meant, but I just felt like God wanted me to respond and give my life more fully to him. And I responded at that moment with fear because I didn't know what the next steps would be. We all want to know what the next page of the chapter is, don't we? We want to know the next part of our story. And God doesn't always work that way. In that moment, I was too fearful. I didn't understand enough about who God was to respond in a positive action of trust. And my life has taken those ups and downs where sometimes I trust and sometimes I don't. I respond with fear and try and work things out my way. And it's in those moments you realise it probably would have been better to trust God and let him do something, even if it was different than what I expected. And the funny thing is, the more of the Bible you read, uh, the more you realise the so-called heroes of the faith just had these same journeys that we do. Um, you look at uh, all the, through the Old Testament, whether it's Abraham here, whether later it's David or Solomon and so many of the others, and the whole life of the nation of Israel, it's, it's these journeys of fear or faith. Uh, how will they respond in that moment? Um, and so we land ourselves back in Genesis. And Genesis 12 to 50 is really the story of how God is going to reconnect with humanity. So at the start of the book, we've seen how God creates everything in a beautiful way. But humanity rebels against God and wants to do things their own way. They don't have that faith and trust. And so Genesis 12 to 50 is about the call of Abram. And then the birth of Isaac, and then Jacob, who follows after Isaac, and then the arrival of the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes. So all this stems, really we come across um, Abram in Genesis 11, he's part of Terah's family, is where we first come across him, introduces us to Abram, and also to Lot, who's in this story today, um, because Abram's brother dies, that's why Lot is tagging along with Abram. 
And in, verse, in chapter 12, we see that uh, the Lord comes to Abram and says to him, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Interesting to see there, there is a call for action to Abraham. Go out from your country, your people, and even your father's household. And then I will do all these things for you. So there's a response of faith required from Abram here. And in verse 4 we see, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? In this moment, Abraham doesn't know what this means entirely. He doesn't know the next steps for his life. All he knows is he must separate himself from his country, from his people and even his father's household. And chapter 13 starts to unroll that action, both of God's blessing and of Abram's step of faith. But what's interesting at the end of chapter 12, you can read it later yourself, is there's a, there's a famine due to drought and Abram decides to go down to Egypt so he can get supplies. And in this moment, Abram responds fearfully to what the Egyptians might say. He's got a problem we'd all like to have. My wife is too attractive. We'd all love that problem, wouldn't we? Um, I have that problem, actually. Um, but my wife is, just making sure I'm covering my bases here, take a step back for a second. Uh, my wife is too attractive. I can't tell the Egyptians that I'm married. She's my sister, which is kind of half true because she was a half sister at that point. Um, my wife is not my half sister, just to clarify. Uh, and so he responds in fear in this moment. And it, it means that the king is attracted to his wife and all sorts of bad things happen because he makes advances at her and then God judges through disease and they say, what's happening? And you can read the story later. So right after this step of faith, I'm leaving my country, my people and possibly even my father's household. He falls right into the trap of fear, doesn't he? So you have these moments like a, a peak of faith and then a valley of fear. And so that leads us into chapter 13 and then uh, Abram comes upon another problem we'd, we'd all like to have as well, right? So Abram and Lot, that's his nephew, they, they move out back from Egypt, so they're moving out. And it says in verse 1, they went up from Egypt to Negev, and he's got everything with him, his wife, everything he has, and Lot as well. And verse 2, Abram becomes very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. So already this is chapter 12, right? God's fulfilling his promise and doing what he said. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to do it. Abraham's experiencing that blessing. And as we move and see where he's travelling along, in verse 5, we find out this conflict between Lot and Abram. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great, they were not able to stay together. Another problem we'd all like to have. We'd love to have a wife that was too attractive, and we'd love to have our business and our life going so well that the land around us couldn't support us anymore. And this is the problem Abram faces. But in this moment, um, what's beautiful is that Abram doesn't respond in fear. He actually responds in faith. And he says, I'm not going to try and uh, manipulate circumstances. I'm not going to try and manufacture an outcome. I'm going to just see what God does in this moment. I'm actually going to offer to Lot the chance to choose first. You can look out over the land 
and you can choose where to take your people and your flocks and your herds first. That's a moment of big trust, isn't it? Abraham has recognised, hang on, if I remember a moment ago in my life, God promised this and it's happening. I can lean into this. I know who God is. And he does in this moment. So Lot has a look around and he's maybe being a bit more, you know, centred in the moment. He's looking out, where's the greenest patch of grass for my flocks? And that's when he spies where he wants to go. He wants to go down to the plain of Jordan towards Zoar because it was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, it says. Um, And that's what Lot chooses. And Abraham gives him his blessing to go to the well-watered plains here. Now, it's interesting in the text that there's kind of a contrast in that Lot sees what looks really enticing and green and prosperous, but it is amongst people who are living lives in rebellion against God. And we find out later in the story that has great consequences for Lot. But what I want to focus on today is the theme of fear and faith and Abraham's responses. And so what's interesting is that Abram lives in the land of Canaan while Lot lives amongst the cities of the plain and pitches his tents near Sodom. There seems to be a blessing from God here because in verse 14, the Lord returns to Abram and speaks to him again after Lot had passed. It's always a good sign when God is still talking to you. It means you haven't wandered off too far. And... um, The Lord says to Abraham, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I'll give you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And so Abraham responds and he goes to live near the great trees of that word I can't say at Hebron. And there he builds an altar to the Lord. So he responds in worship, doesn't he? So it's a good sign here. It's interesting back in verse tw- uh, chapter 12, when he's moving about and he's, he's going to Bethel, it says, he moves to Bethel, actually builds an altar to the Lord there and he worships. But there's no sign of that worship when he tries to combat the famine he, and before moving to Egypt. Doesn't, doesn't really tell us that. So it seems to be a pattern that when things are going well for Aaron, there's these moments where he's building time with God into his life so that God might speak to him and he might follow and be led. So just an interesting point there. And at the end of this occasion, where he has shown faith and God has responded again and spoken to him saying, don't worry, everywhere you look will be yours. I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to do this for you. And he builds an altar and he worships God in response. And so we see already from What God has spoken about in chapter 12, saying, go, Abraham has become disentangled by faith. He's left all that is familiar to him. He's left his country. He's left those people around him, his culture. And even now, we see he's left Lot, his father's household. He's completely separated out. What a great response of faith. And our faith in God always works best when we understand who God is. The more we understand who God is, the greater our faith in him becomes. So I thought, um, we'll just pause between the two episodes, and I thought, because the kids are in with us today, how many kids we got in here today? Got a few in here. Paul's in here. Um, I thought maybe we'll get them involved. Have we got a a spare mic around? Who's got a spare mic? So I've got to come down here. This is highly planned, as you can see. Peter's got one. Because I I might need to ask the kids some questions as we go. All right, so... um, 
I don't need that one. I've got this one on. Um, I need some, uh, also some strong, strapping young men. Maybe I'll pick on them today. Uh, Matt, I think we'll get you out. Is that okay? It's, it's all right. We'll get you to sign the disclosure agreement and waiver of indemnity. That's okay. Now, I need someone else. Who else should we get up here? Matt, what do you think? I need someone. A strapping young man. I need a strapping young man. Someone with some physical abilities. All right, we'll get Alex up. Okay, Alex, up you come. Okay, so we've got, we've got the two brothers. There could be some rivalry here. Now, I need some, um, some of the kids in the room. I need your involvement at this point because we're going to get you to participate here. So Ezra wants to come out. All right, you come. Is there anyone else that wants to join you? You don't have to. Okay, Ezra's going to be... Okay, so you can put your plane down for a moment. That's it, good. <laughs> now, what we're going to do here is we're going to practice our faith and trust in people, okay? So it's an illustration. You're safe. You're with me, all right? I've got your best interest at heart. Um, now, what we're going to do is we're going to do a thing. Have you ever heard of the thing called a trust fall? You have. How do you, how do, you do a trust fall? Someone stands behind you and you fall over. And, and what happens after that, though? They catch you. Oh, they catch you. That's an important part of the trust fall, isn't it? Okay. So this is where it gets heated. If you had to have one of these guys catch you, if you wanted to trust one of them, which one would you pick out of these two? No pressure. Just choose one. <laughs> Who's it going to be? It's going to be Matt. Okay. All right. Um, I hope no one's offended here. This is not pre-rehearsed. Why did you choose Matt? Because. Because there was a reason. No. <laughs> no, okay, so it's blind faith, that's good. All right, so what we'll do, are you, do you, are you okay to have a little practice, have a try? Is that okay, forget it? Okay, Matt, come here, and you turn this way, not too far, so you've got to look the other way, and if you put your hands on your chest like that, because you've got trust. Now, are you ready? Okay, so when you're ready, you fall back, and Matt's going to catch you. Okay, you've trusted him. Wow, that was pretty good. Give him a, give him a round of applause. There you go. Okay. Everyone can take a seat. Thanks, Alex. Sorry to set you up like that. That was not planned at all. It was just luck of the draw today. Um, but I hope when I speak to Ezra later, part of, like he knows both of the Schmidt brothers and maybe recently he's seen Matt working around our house and putting up a pergola. To be fair, Alex was there too on, the, on that day as well, doing the hard yards to lift some of those pergola beams up. So maybe Ezra knows enough about the two young men to pick one, and he probably would have been fine with either, but he picked Matt. But he has enough uh, knowledge of who Matt is, that he's not going to pull a mean prank, that he knows me as uh, Ezra's dad, that um, it's trustworthy. I can do this moment. It is dangerous to fall backwards. And that's why I let my own son do it, because I wouldn't do it with someone else's child. We're not sure how Peter would feel about that with our current insurance setup. Um, but, you know, it's not part of our normal program, just to put that out there if we're on YouTube at the moment. Um, but I just wanted to illustrate for the kids and get them involved too, but the more we know someone, the greater our trust can be, even when we don't know for certain the outcome. And so in our first episode here, we've seen that Abram has great trust uh, because um, he understands God's fulfilling his promise. God's coming through on his word. God's given him so much stuff that the land can't support it. And he goes, well, I think this is a God problem. Let's give it back to God. And he does that really well. If only we could do that in our lives. Well, let's look at the next chapter. So we're going through this really quick. That's why I had Peter read all the hard names and spent all that time with this morning because I'm going through at lightning pace. 
um, through two chapters today. So what we come to next is um, a really exciting episode that we're going to breeze through, where you've got these uh, four kings who have formed an alliance. The main one who runs the show is Kedo Laoma. I might call him Kedo for short because I can't even say the names. That's a good Aussie nickname, Kedo. So Kedo seems to be the boss, and he's got these four guys with him, and they've sort of subjugated these other tribal kings and made them follow along and probably have to pay lots of tax and all those things and be subject to them. And after 12 years of this, um, we've got Bera, one of the kings of Sodom, and Bersha, king of Gomorrah. So Bera and Bersha seem to be at the top of the uh, pecking order of those that are really suffering here. And they get together secretly and they say, we've got to throw these guys off. We've got to, really, we've got to get rid of this oppressive rule. And so they form an uprising. They've had it for 12 years and it says in the 13th year they rebel. And in between it says, old Kedo, he's out. And he's anyone with the ites name on the end of it. He's crushing them too. So it's the, the Rephites and the Zuzites and the Emites and the Horites and the Amalekites and the Amorites. So I would have been changing my name back then so that that wasn't on the end and he might have ignored me, perhaps. But what we see in the main thrust of the story is that these um, kings led by Bera and Bersha, they rise up and predictably our old friend Kedo crushes them. You see that in verse 10. Well, it says in verse 8 and 9 that they march out to the valley of Siddim, they draw up their battle lines and then they rush at each other. They realise they've made a terrible mistake, that they're crushed and they flee. And it's a terrifying, horrific scene as men are falling into the uh, tar pits that are frequently found throughout this valley. And what happens is, predictably, the four kings led by Kedo Lama grab all the gear and all the people and subjugate them again and lead them off. And what happens here is that lot who's moved down nearby, gets caught up, swept up in this warlike activity. And he gets carried off with all these people and all these possessions. And um, Lot's maybe having second thoughts about choosing the green land now, isn't he, down in that valley. And we find out in verse 14 that Abraham hears news of this. A relative comes to him. Abraham heard that his... Oh, sorry. Ab- when Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive... He called out 318 trained men, born in his household, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. So Abraham has quite a few people, Abram, sorry, has quite a few people, he's not Abraham yet, quite a few people around him. He gathers these trained men, able-bodied men, and says, we've got to do something. We can't let Lot fall into the hands of these people. And he chases them and pursues them, as far as Hobart, not Hobart, in case you're wondering, north of Damascus. And amazingly, he, he uses some strategic decisions to gain a victory. He divides his group into at least two. So there's not very many, really. I think 318 would have been outnumbered. But he divides his group into two, and they attack by night. And they take them by surprise, these kings led by Kedalaama, and they drive them out. They take back the people and the possessions. There's a great victory that Abram initiates and plans. So Abram shows great courage in this moment. Um, And it's very interesting, the response. That's what I want to focus on here. I think that's what the text really focuses on too. That in verse 17 it says, after Abram returns from defeating Kedalama and the kings allied with him, 
the king of Sodom comes out to meet him in the valley of Shava. Uh, so this is uh, Bera that comes out, king of Sodom. And the other king that comes out is the king of Salem, or Jerusalem, you could say. It's another name for Salem. This is Melchizedek, and he brings out bread and wine. He was both the priest and the king. And he comes out and gives this blessing, this beautiful blessing upon Abraham. He says, Blessed be Abraham, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. So the priestly blessing shows that what Abraham did through courage was really the right response because he's shown here, this is God's work through your activity. He's delivered these enemies into your hand. But what's really fascinating is I think Abraham again shows great faith in his response in this moment. Abram could respond either to Melchizedek or he could respond to Bera because the two responses would be very different. So the king of Sodom comes out, you'll see in verse 21, and he says, give me all the people back, but you can keep all the loot, you can keep all the treasure, you can keep all the spoils here. And so this is very tempting, I'm sure, isn't it? I certainly would be tempted in this moment to say, well, I've earned it. I went out with my 318 men and put them at risk. But Abram, very interestingly, has the opposite approach here. He actually gives a tenth of everything he has to Melchizedek as a tithe. and says, I don't need to hang on tight to my possessions. I can worship God as the one who has blessed me in this moment. I recognise what the priest says is true. God was at work to deliver these people in my hands. God helped free Lot. And so he says in response to the king of Sodom, in a very dramatic fashion really, with raised hand, I've sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I'll accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made, remember old Abram? I made Abram rich. And king of Sodom's probably like, chill out dude, like I didn't need all the you know, thread and the sandal bit, that's a bit overkill, but I get your point. That's not in there, I just imagine that. Because Abram's very dramatic, he goes, no, I must recognise God's hand in my life, the hand of blessing. That's where it came from. That's why I'm willing to give it away again too, because I don't have to micromanage and manipulate the outcome. And so this is a wonderful response of faith by Abram. Once again, he's had two great moments here, hasn't he? Chapter 13, he's responded when the land is under contest with his um, nephew. He says, I'm going to leave it to God. He's the one blessing me. God's got this. And then in chapter 14, there's this great exciting adventure of freeing Lot from the captives. And he, instead of being tight with it all and saying, oh yeah, I better take all the loot really just in case. He says, hang on, let's think about this. If God gave it to me, I can give it back as a tithe to the priest here. And if God gave it to me, I don't need to give credit to Berah, king of Sodom. I can be free with it. And I don't want people to say, oh, remember Abram? Oh yeah, he's rich now. Yeah, I think that wasn't that because of king of Sodom? No. He says, I want this to be known that it was God who said, I will make you a great nation. So I'm turning this down. So on both these occasions, Abram shows faith. Both occasions, Abram says, God's got this. He trusts who God is. 
is coming through for me and I can see it. But what's interesting, if we remember back to chapter 12, it's kind of like a fear and faith sandwich going on here. We're going to get to this in the next part of the series. Chapter 12, we had the fearful moment, lying about my wife. Chapter 13 and 14, we think, man, Abraham has turned the corner. We feel like that sometimes too, didn't we? Man, I really trusted God in that moment. And I can see what he was doing there. It was something I never thought would happen. But I'm so glad I trusted God in that moment. And uh, you get to chapter 15. It's about the Lord's covenant with Abraham. So it's a lot of God talking. It's very important. But by the time you get to the next action of Abram in the story, it's chapter 16, where once again he's falling into the fearful trap. Will God come through and give me an heir? That's where we're going next. But Abram's back to being fearful again. So this, these two occasions are not the end of the story. And we see over and over again, the people depicted in the Bible have these moments of great faith in God. Who's the one that is doing the action that he promised? Or they're being fearful. And they're massaging, manipulating the situation and micromanaging and hoping they can uh, fashion an outcome. And it always turns out worse. And it's those moments of uncertainty is when these responses are tested. When you're not sure about your livelihood, that's a moment of uncertainty. Where will my flocks graze? Where will my next paycheck come from? How will I feed my family? That's a, that can be a moment of uncertainty. And in this case, Abram leans into God. When your nephew gets kidnapped by bandits and kings, that's a moment of great uncertainty. And... Abraham steps up and says, I lean into God in this uncertainty. And our lives have a level of uncertainty. Um, you know, the past week or so, there's been plenty of uncertain moments. We've been voting for constitutional change as a country and sort of been quite argumentative in the process as a whole, quite divided. What does it mean going forward? We can feel uncertain in that moment. We need to lean into God. Uh, we've seen um, even the people we're reading about having land disputes at this very moment with other groups. That can cause uncertainty. Which nations will become involved? What will happen in six months' time, three months' time? What does it mean going forward for us? Are fuel prices going through the roof? We've got these uncertainties. And so your response can be to start battening down the hatches and living a life of fear, or our response can be, even in this uncertain moment, with us not knowing what the next chapter is, we can lean to what God has said to us. And I want to read you just one thing that Jesus said to us that you can lean into today. It's in John 10, 10. Jesus uh, uses the picture quite regularly of himself as a shepherd and people as sheep. And we are a bit like sheep, you know. Sheep can be fearful or just stupid or uh, they can trust people and follow them. And so Jesus says in John 10.10, as he gives this analogy of the thief and the robber might break in, we'll just breeze through that. But he says down in verse 8, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here we have a promise that we get to choose what we will do with. We will respond with fear or we will respond with faith. When Jesus offers life, and not just any old life, but life to the full. Or your version might say life abundant. That idea of overflowing. And so you have to process that and think, in the face of uncertainty, is that really true? Do I know enough about God to lean into that? Or am I going to, with fear and worry, try and manipulate the outcomes, try and really micromanage my situation? This is what's put before you today. Do you trust the good shepherd, the one who has laid down his life for you? We all have to answer that question, and not just once, it seems. We'll have to answer it as we step through life, repeatedly. But the good news is that Jesus has offered life to the max, to the full. And I hope this morning that whether you're just curious about what it means to be doing life with Jesus, whether you'll lean into that today and ask someone what that means, or whether today you're coming back and you've seen the chapters and episodes of your life where you've done it well, leaning into Jesus, saying, I give you life full, or whether you've tried to make that mean something for you. I hope that challenges you. I've got a challenge for you over coffee. I call it questions over coffee. Um, Maybe you can ask someone today, say hello first, because it's quite a deep question. Uh, Just putting it out there. You know, you don't want to go straight in. Say, how was your week? That's okay too. But think of this question. In what part of your life do you feel most uncertain and therefore more prone to a response of fear? In what part of your life do you feel most uncertain? What brings that great uncertainty in your life? What is it? And therefore, you'll be more prone to a response of fear. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? Maybe you don't come up with the exact right answer today. That's okay. Maybe you don't want to tell it to someone. Just tell them that. It's okay. We're all friends here. The second question for you over coffee, how can we as a local church community help each other lean into this so that we have faith and trust in God in that uncertainty? So maybe the follow-up question is, what would help you face that fear? How can we help each other? So it's quite a serious question. I hope you'll take me up on it. Um, You'll at least ponder it this morning. That's the challenge for you. I call it questions over coffee. If you've got any other questions that arise from what we've spoken about today in our lightning fast tour of these two chapters, even three chapters, please talk to someone. Um, If they don't know the answers, they'd love to connect you with someone around that might have a better idea. Uh, That'd be fantastic. Um, So in uncertain times, what will your response be? Will it be fear or will it be faith in God? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just want to give you thanks for what you've been doing this morning even. We've seen through Dennis's story as he shared um, some of his life with us that he's had moments where he could really clearly see that he could respond in fear or he could respond in faith and it just fit together so beautifully. Um, We pray that we would have our eyes open. We would see moments and recognise when we are facing uncertainty but we'd also have the clarity and, and your prompting to lean into you, to lean into the words of Jesus who says, I lay down my life for you and I give you life to the full. 
And we pray this morning that we'd be a community that helps each other face our fears and grow our faith in you, that we might be a blessing to all people around us. So we thank you that you've been here with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.